It's a cold one out there. Yeah, uh, it's very cold here in New York. Welcome back to Rams from the Garden. <laughs> Brought to you by Anchor FM. As usual, the free podcast making app. Download and sign up today. We got a new speaker in the house today. Our resident Devin Booker, sons, Stan, Carlos Ramia. Uh, for those of you who aren't watching, he is currently wearing a son's beanie, which is disrespectful. Um, since this is a actually podcast. Res- it's respectful. I'm coming in to enemy territory, wearing my colors. Uh, yeah, given no, not- to me by, by Nicholas, who gave this to me a couple of years back. So, if anything, this is, uh, I'm coming yeah. in open arms, hugging. Hey, man, it's the sun. It's bringing warm vibes. I'm not complaining. They're in a different division, man. We already played both our games versus the suns this year, I think. I don't know. Something's just something fishy's going on right now. I'm just saying. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, we'll see him in the NBA finals, so it's all good. I would love to see it. I would love it. <laughs> I would also <laughs> love that. That'd be a fantastic matchup for all parties. I think everyone in this chat would love that. <laughs> What's crazy is you're going to see the Suns play the Knicks in the finals. The Knicks are going to win, and then Devin Booker is going to get traded here, and it's going to even be better for you. So. It's better for everyone involved. That's Everybody like wins. Kevin Durant over here. That ain't Kevin Durant. <laughs> he, stayed, he stayed in Phoenix. He signed that extension. That's very true, very true. But uh, let's get into the fun stuff. I mean, you know, we could keep it yeah, quick. Into reality. It, yeah. <laughs> so, somewhat. The Knicks are four and six in the last ten games. Uh, tonight they have a game against the Clippers, which I don't know how to feel because Kawhi Leonard is back and better than ever. It looks like, um, you know, since the last recording, a lot of fun stuffs happened, but some depressing stuffs happened. And most importantly, our boy Julius Randle has been named to his second All Star ballot honor uh, in his Knicks oh, yeah. tenure. Uh, you know, he's had a roller coaster tenure here, but. He deserves it, I feel. Um, I think Brunson got snubbed. Obviously, we'll get to that. Uh, Cal, your thoughts? Oh, sorry. Carlos Rami's nickname is Cal from our friend's standpoint. <laughs> I forgot. Um, me, me and Carlos have actually talked about how Baller Julius has been at work a lot. So, if you want to weigh yeah. in on that. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a great year for the, the Randall truthers out there. After <laughs> a rough... Uh, 12 months before that, where he got the big contract and an underwhelming year before that contract even started. And now this year, he looks like a new player. Uh, I'm sure you guys probably saw that post-game or practice interview where he talked about Johnny Bryant and how big it was for him, like them talking over the summer and getting his mind right. And I definitely think even though he still has a lot of those same tendencies that gets him into trouble. I definitely feel like it's coming from a better place now. Like sometimes last year you'd watch and just be like, oh, this guy just doesn't get it. This guy's forcing it a little too much. This year it's like, right, at least when he's forcing it, I know it's because like he doesn't really know what else to do. Because I think offensively that team does lack a lot of direction when the ball's not in Julius or Brunson's or Quickly's hands. I'll give Quickly... Quickly, he's been hooping the past yeah. month and a half. Uh-huh. Yeah, he, he gets though, a shout. Uh-huh. Even though uh, I would love for the Suns to trade for him if the Knicks would have been bad, but it looks like the Knicks are going to build. The Knicks are going to keep building, hopefully. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Draft picks actually coming to fruition for the Knicks is honestly a blessing in disguise. Um, I, I actually had a note here about Quickly because I knew that he was cooking for the past, like, however many games, 
But if you looked at his month of January averages, he was averaging 15 and a half points a game on 52% from the field shooting, 37.9 from three and like almost five attempts a game and 83.3 from free throw. You can't, you can't beat that. Um, yeah, I just have to double check the, the, the record in that time, but you know, he, he, he really stepped up, especially in those few games where Brunson went down, albeit I remember those games being kind of inefficient, but you know, he had to do what he had to do, and he made his moment count. He, he's been a real big piece for us right now. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, look, there's pre-Ice Spice quickly and post-Ice Spice quickly. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we got to consider. But I was, I forgot about Ice Spice. I was going to mention her, too. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, in 2023, like, he shot almost 50% from the field, 15 points a game, three assists, four boards. He's, like, a phenomenal uh, rebounding guard. And like he yeah, communicates yeah. on defense. So like it makes sense that he's valuable. I'm just happy that like we've seen in comparison to some of our other younger players, like I'm talking about RJ, like we've seen some major growth from him, especially this year and like year three. Um, I'm, and that's not to compare to like RJ not growing, but you know, are the RJ of two years ago when the Knicks were the fourth seed and then last year and then this year, like there isn't too many glaring differences. Like it's just like a guy that has more experience in the league while quickly we've seen literally go from like making stupid mistakes to like literally coming on the floor and like our whole offense changes um, and the defensive identity of the team. So, you know, I'd say is he our best young player? There's an argument, but is he our most valuable young player? I think maybe because you can see how like the rest of the league sort of covets like a guy like that, like a, a six, like a six man, but like a six, starter that is sort of just like this um what's the word for it it's sort of this like uh um swiss army knife type player that you can like put into situations and that's a guy that's you know contributes to like winning basketball and i'll have like all the uh the um like all the numbers on it but i'm pretty sure like nicks plus minus is a lot higher like every time he's on the floor um I think Quickly's plus yeah. minus in general, I, I've seen a couple of tweets and stuff in the past like couple months, and I'm pretty sure Quickly's plus minus in general is one of like the best in the NBA, or at least yeah. it was over the past like month and change. He he, he does bring, uh, he brings defensive versatility and offensive versatility for the team. And that's really where the biggest impact comes from. Um, you're right. He went from making a lot of these boneheaded decisions to really taking time to break down and assess what's going on in front of him first. You know, he does still, he, he has a penchant for taking these like really weird off balance three pointers too. Uh -huh. But you know, when it's going in, it's going in. He, he, he's a spark plug, you know, uh, and got to love quickly. Uh -huh. um, yeah. And especially compared to the past couple of years where it felt like you didn't know what quickly you were going to get every night. Some nights he'd yeah. be, giving you like real juice off the bench and some nights he'd almost it's literally nothing right yeah and now it's that's exactly what you want from a six-man type of guy and it's weird i haven't really seen that much six-man kudos for him i guess like people have been trying to give it more to westbrook even yeah though... westbrook's taking all the heat for it well not the heat but you know what i mean he he's getting all the attention for hey, it. you've seen it on nick's twitter people have been talking about it but yeah, of course. the rest of the league <laughs> of no course, he hasn't course. been getting his flowers like that yeah. yeah so that's i'm glad at least nick's twitter is appreciating him i know he was always kind of like a 
I, as someone who's not on Nick's Twitter, like a crown jewel kind of, where it was like, obviously everybody knew he wasn't an all-star necessarily yet, but everybody always had high hopes for him. And I know yeah. a lot of the sentiment was like, why doesn't Tibbs play him more? And here we are in this year, and I think quickly he's finally made that jump where he's getting those consistent minutes. But Toppin's the guy who's kind of completely fallen out of it. Like Toppin, after those last couple games, we were expecting him to make that leap. And now he's kind of having that down year Julius had last year. Well, I guess his is more due to probably inconsistency and things of that nature. But uh, quick question for you guys. I know this kind of ebbs and flows, but where are we right now with Tibbs? Like, are we fire Tibbs? Are we finish yeah. the year and reevaluate or are you guys already you guys already know i i had a note here actually to get to that too for sure um it's funny because like you know a little while back earlier in the season even i thought tom thibodeau's seat was like firing scorching hot because the knicks went on that eight game win streak and then just went on another lost streak like you know missing close uh, losing close games like not being able to close out not playing good defense like everything was just falling apart and I would say, like, obviously at that point, I was like, look, we're back to the same shit we've been seeing for the past two two seasons where Thibodeau just can't seem to figure things out in late game situations and all that. Um, you know, the rotation was shortened, obviously due to injury and stuff, but he wasn't using and utilizing the people that he's omitted from the rotation altogether when Mitch Robinson went down with an injury, Brunson went down with an injury, et cetera, et cetera. I would say right now I'm a, I'm lukewarm on it, and Tibbs' seat is also lukewarm. I, you, it's it's like kind of just a give and take. The the Knicks wind up losing a couple of games uh, last week, and then come back to beat the Heat, which is like a team that the Knicks just unfortunately cannot beat sometimes. And mind you, this comes after R.J. Barrett getting benched, and that stirred up some drama. And then he goes on to be the most minutes played, and I think the highest scorer in the game, or they might have, yeah. might have had him out by like one or two points. Um, so, you know, 30-point game in a victory for the Knicks. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't say fire Thibs right now because the Knicks are still, you know, winning record. They're not bottoming out in the uh, Eastern Conference. Um, I think there's a reason to keep him, but he's definitely, he's teetering. He's right there, you know? Well, I think Thibs is crucial to the Knicks really building like a culture which to be honest since the 90s we really haven't had um I think you need that consistency like I think the whole point of this new front office that came in like post Phil Jackson like post Porzingis era was like let's build some consistency so this team can be respected in the league at least so like Tibbs is a part of that no matter what but that's more in the macro at the micro scale we do see like really questionable decision making for example that double over that dot not double over, that overtime game against the lakers where brunson's cooking randall has nothing going on rj gets benched at the end of the game which honestly wasn't a bad decision but there's no accountability then for randall and then your randall's getting the last shot and it's an isolation play that just makes no sense from a coaching standpoint in my opinion it's one thing if you want to like switch it up but you put the ball in the guy's hands that's hot you know he's got it going um so there's just like bad decisions. And I do, I do, I am concerned in terms of, sure, we're limited with talent on our team, but is Tibbs actually getting, you know, if you're, if he's trying to like, you know, 
make some orange juice from scratch and juice the orange. Are you getting everything, man? Are you getting the pulp? Are you getting all the juice, man? Like, I don't know if he's getting everything, like the potential out of this team as maybe say a more respected younger coach that comes in like a Johnny Bryant type guy, you know? And I just want to say, you know, I find it kind of interesting that, you know, these Cam Reddish reports come out that like he sort of was honest with Tibbs. He wanted a bigger role. And then Tibbs benches him. RJ gets benched, talks to the media after every game, every single game, doesn't want to talk. Um, and then you even have Randall come out and say, and, and you know, Tibbs and Randall have been tight buddies. Randall say, yeah, you know, Johnny Bryant really helped me sort of mature this off season, you know, like he really name dropping this guy and he seems to be a really, really respectable, um, you know, assistant coach. So, you know, in terms of being on the hot seat, I think if Tyler hero hit a, a buzzer beater on Thursday night, I think, you know, maybe we'd be having a different conversation, but there's so much like nepotism going on with the front office. If you are Leon Rose right now, uh, and if you fire Tibbs, then your seat now becomes hot because now you have Johnny Bryant or whoever coach you bring in because you fired Tibbs. And if that doesn't work out, you know, that looks bad on you. So people got to, people above Tibbs have to consider the decisions they want to make in their job at hands. Cause then Dolan up top is going to be knocking on people's doors. Like what's going on. So, you know, I, again, I, me on a personal level, I've been wanting to get Tibbs out of here for a long time. Like, I think he's a good, consistent coach, but I think he's just, you know, coaches with like an older mentality. Defense is good. I think he made quickly into like a defensive player. Um, But, you know, some examples of like other teams coming in and like seeing drop coverage and they're like, wow, man, I haven't seen that since high school. Like, why? It's crazy. The Knicks are playing that. Like we had like all these shots from the mid range and, and, you know, a lot of guys, you know, shooting from three because like their defenders like leaning off of them. I like that doesn't things don't make sense to me. And then Tibbs excuse to the media is like, we got to watch the tape. So I just think like a younger coach, like, you know, you have guys like Will Hardy in the league, like guys like that, like are just like seeing or they're adapting to the league and the league's changing every season. So I just think like a guy that isn't Tibbs, who's a bit more young minded would get the best out of this team. But, you know, I don't make the decisions up top. So we're going to have to really lose a lot of games in a row for Tibbs to really go. I think, you know, the, the inconsistency is that's a part of our identity. So I don't think that's really going to like, you know, <laughs> chip them out. But yeah. that's just my two cents on the Tibbs situation. The, the Knicks are by definition mid, basically. I mean, yeah. sometimes, you know, him. The, the is seed... sometimes him. Oh, yeah, yeah. sometimes. Exactly. That means <laughs> that, was, that was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. <laughs> But, um, mm-hmm. you know, there, but ever since that fourth seed, mm-hmm. you know, the fourth seed season feels like such a fluke day by day, but whatever. But uh, fourth seed happens. Last year, we know what happens. The Knicks, I think, finished 38 and 44. 37, 45, I think. There we go. But, like, at some point, they were, like, stuck on this border between 500 or not. Like, it was, they're under 500, they're 500, they're above 500, they're 500, and then it just... They plummeted finally. But even this year, you know, they've been staggering from 500 to not 500, so on and so forth. And, you know, Dibs winds up becoming now, I forget which number in ranking he is, but he's got 100 plus wins for the, the Knicks now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Naldi said, inconsistency is the name of the game on, on this franchise right now, it feels like. Um, I, I do think 
if the, ever there's a case where Thibodeau finally just goes, I would like to see Johnny Bryant brought up because he's now the last assistant coach that came in with the new front office and all that. Um, and, you know, he worked with Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz and uh, Quinn Snyder, who had very good seasons with the Jazz as well. And seeing him step in and kind of take over, knowing now that we've seen he's been vocal with Julius and I'd imagine some of the other younger guys and all that. Um, I think we're in good hands no matter what. You know, if Thibodeau fails the team, like, there's still a good backup, I would say. Um, I don't think we need to fire him right now. I do think there's still somewhat of a future with him. Uh, well, it's just Nick, hard to gauge. Nick just called him a Nepo baby. That's why I heard he, he pretty much called him that. And, you know, that's because <laughs> – I think the the tough part with Tibbs is that he creates a solid floor that the ceiling's you know, too low mm-hmm. or high. You, you, I don't know. You rather that than being awful as a fan sometimes. But the truth is, is that for a team, it's usually work better to be awful and then become good and become great. And that's what they thought they had, I guess, when they finished in that fourth seed spot. And then last year, obviously, they had a down year. I think it would have been really easy to just get off of Tibbs then. Uh, I think yeah. this year is probably fool's gold because they just have enough talent there now where they're going to be at least decent between Randall, Brunson, uh, whatever you're getting from Barrett, and then Grimes is like a nice, solid role player, and the same thing with Quickly. And I do think that there's a lot created there from consistency. Like, I think this is a this was a pretty good Mitchell Robinson year. Mitchell Robinson's been there how many years now? quickly yeah. been there this is his third year and, and like a lot of people have been there for a while and Brunson's just flat out good but it still feels like on offense <clears throat> they kind of score in spite of him you guys mentioned that Randall play down the stretch it's I mean it's rare that I ever see the Knicks do what I think is something cutting edge or smart on offense where I'm like oh like that's a nice play like that was nice uh well done things like that I feel like Randall Randall has to work so hard for all of his yeah. points. He gets uh-huh. a lot of shit for like his shot selection and things like that. But I just mm-hmm. also feel like there's never been anything done to make him score easier points. Which Brunson yeah. the only thing done was getting Brunson and actually having a point guard. But like yep. from a coaching standpoint, I don't really know what they're offering to anybody on offense. Mm-hmm. On defense, I understand the Tibbs pedigree and things like that. But this is also now the highest scoring the league's been in, like, I don't know how long, maybe ever, at least in the past, like, 20-something years. Uh, With the way teams now spread out on offense and things like that, I'm not sure if you guys are mentioning drop coverage and things like that. I watched that Nets-Knicks game. It felt like the Nets got so many wide-open threes and things of that nature, which is just you're asking to be – dismantled in today's NBA, especially against teams that have so many shooters. And even though it seems like the Knicks play bigger lineups and things like that, I, I don't feel like they punish teams enough with their size. Okay. You think Barrett, Barrett would be maybe that type of guy who could bully opposing wings, but it comes few and far between. I don't know. I think the sooner you fire Tibbs, the better. If you want to finish out the year with him just for the sake of development and good morale and things like that, I get that. That's an interesting point you brought up, Nick, about once you fire him, you kind of start your own clock if you're the front office because now you no longer have a scapegoat. 
I think a lot of that goes back to Dolan. Dolan doesn't actually care how much the team does well. He probably just cares that they're the Knicks. And until they're not the Knicks, he's probably not going to make any sweeping changes. Uh, I know now the story is uh, who you could get with those draft picks. I think Kyrie's probably out of the question just because, you know, Brooklyn trading in New York would be pretty, pretty unfortunate for Brooklyn. But I don't really know who else you're waiting for. It's kind of tough because the most volatile players in the NBA are the ones that play in the next borough to you. So it's harder to get them. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, just, uh, sorry, if you wanted to finish your point, you're good. You're good. I think, uh, yeah, ultimately like with Tibbs, I, I do agree with you. I've been wanting to get off him, you know, as much as we could like it, like we've seen three years of him now so we know like his tendencies and some of his schemes are just so questionable and his thing is like this is the way it's always been but it's just like not acceptable answers for 2023 nba but because you know he does have that nepotism he brought in rick brunson i mean jalen brunson's dad is literally assistant coach on the bench man like this is mm-hmm. all comes from the top down you know it's tough like what they're gonna do and the harsh reality is we're three games above 500 like you're gonna fire a coach is it three games above 500 like you do also have to look at the talent and be like brunson is good all-star level randall's playing like an all-star this year too also because of brunson's addition our young guys have improved but i'm just trying to maximize the talent we have i'm realistic with the talent we have if you're gonna fire a coach where our team's three games above 500 with no clear, like, superstar. And, like, like we're kind of doing, like, like what else do we kind of want him to do? How much better do we expect to be under another coach? Two, three games extra? Like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really sure. And with the, the modern NBA, there's so much parity in this league, in this season in particular, that it's like, I think you just got to ride out the season with him. And take it from there, you know, these middle of the season firings are never good. And again, like we're above 500, like you can't really fire a coach for that. Like what really are the expectations for this team? Like, I think they're honestly reasonable. So it's like, because of that, you know, we're like relatively we're playing good. Like we're not playing bad. We're not like in a slump right now. We're just like inconsistent. Um, you know, I do see some improvements. Like I do see adding Brunson obviously like helps us like close out games and out of floor general, but that has nothing to do with really coaching that much. And again, the coaching can kind of determine these out of time out plays who has the ball in their hands. And time and time again, these out of time out plays are horrible, man. Like, like I, you know, there's some plays we saw years ago and even the first game of the season against the Grizzlies, which was mm-hmm. like a Brunson drive and kick. And there's just ball movement. And I, that play with his Brunson to quickly to Barrett to beat the Celtics like a couple weeks ago in TD Garden, like that's a good play end of the game to get a wide open three. Um, you know, I just don't really trust Tibbs in those situations. But I think all in all, you got to ride out the season with him at least, make the playoffs, get more than one win, and then that is an improvement, and then see where you're at. But for Tibbs to go. I don't know. It's going to be a to take a lot of other factors involved there, you know? Yeah. You also have to consider, too, that the Knicks landscape has changed so much from 2019-20 to now. I mean, 2019, we're like, oh, we're getting Durant and Irving and Zion Williamson. 
we get none of those three people. We get we draft R.J. Barrett, we sign Randall, we sign Bobby Portis, we sign Marcus Morris, we sign all these people that just logjam the roster. We're riding with Frank Nilakina and other people that we drafted, and you know these just moderate to less than moderate players, to be honest. Then the following year, we get Reggie Bullock, we get Alec Burks, we get Nerlens Noel, we make some free agency signings, we get Derrick Rose, uh, we trade for Derrick Rose. You know, uh, the following year, Reggie Bullock's gone. Uh, Alec Burks is there. Nerlens Noel is there. We get Evan Fournier. We get Kemba Walker. Uh, then this year, we get Isaiah Hartenstein, Jalen Brunson. We get um, somebody. I'm blanking on it. Whatever the case. You see my point. Like, the, the roster has shifted so many times, even in just under Tibbs' uh, tenure. So regarding the point where, you know, figuring out the talent is important, it's hard to figure out the talent every time it changes year to year. Um, and being where we are right now above 500 is already a win in a way uh, as frustrating, as frustrating as Thibodeau can be with his decision-making as a coach, um, you know, uh, referencing the time to get rid of him. There was a point last year where the Knicks were like 10 and or no, 11, uh, one and 11 in like an entire month. Like that would have been the time to get rid of him. Um, right now, the Knicks are actually doing relatively well. So keeping him around for the year would be nice. Uh, make even making just the play-in would be a nice result of the season, to be honest. Even though I do strive for playoffs, but uh, yeah. But that's kind of a trap because you know you make the playoffs and then we talk about them winning a game. So like, kind of the nightmare scenario that seems good is they win a series. Like you win a series, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we should keep Tibbs, but. Tibbs isn't going to change. Like with the problems that we see with Tibbs now are going to be consistent probably yeah. throughout his tenure. It's Especially just especially looking at the Knicks roster now, like they have three twenty-point game scores. Like it's weird. Like we talk about talent, but like there aren't that many teams that have three twenty points per game scores. And yeah. uh, like Brunson is having an all-star type of year. I think he should have been an all-star. So they've, in my eyes, they should have two all-stars. And yeah. Julius Randle might play his way into an All-NBA spot, maybe like All-NBA third and things like that. Uh, I don't know. And it's just like if you keep him for the rest of the year just to make playoffs, and then you make playoffs, and then it's like, all right, well, we made playoffs. We should keep him. And it's like you kind of get stuck in that rut. Like it's a lot harder to be proactive and make the tough decision, but usually well, it's worth it. Yeah. Uh, like just to – kind of segue into a different well it's the same conversation actually i'm sorry but like for instance different uh result and everything obviously but look at the raptors with Dwayne casey they had however many years of playoff success and whatever and then they get to an eastern conference finals they lose did, did they do that they did that twice right two eastern conference finals no they made the eastern conference finals one. and got swept the next by lebron, year by LeBron yeah in the semis and then Dwayne casey was gone you know We've now, this would be the third year that Thibodeau is coach of the New York Knicks. The first year, we have the fourth seed. Last year, we missed the playoffs. This year, we make the playoffs, if possible, let's say. And he does win one round, I guess. I would still say, if there's evidence that his coaching ability in that playoffs is exceeded by a lesser team, or what's perceived to be a lesser team, I would say that there's more reason to be like, look, we got to move on and try and get something else going. Maybe not. I don't though. agree. I don't agree, man. I think if we win a series, that's even more justification to keep him. 
it's all result. It's all going to be results driven. If it's an improvement, like if we miss the playoffs this year and the play-in, I think they would find a way to do rid of them. But an yeah. improvement is going to be an improvement. Like again, this is all coming from the top down. They're trying to build this fam. Like Jalen Brunson keeps saying, family, family, family. Like if family he's going to be your guy, you know, it's 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 gonna it's gonna take a lot. Like we really gotta. There's really gotta be some major major issues. Like sure, you know, I I, I felt like Tibbs has lost the team a few times like last season. But again, the players, you know, ultimately aren't going to make that decision of the firing. Um, and if we win, you know, it's an improvement. Like I said right now, like we're not in a position of turmoil to fire Tibbs. Like you spend time on Nick's Twitter or watching Nick's fan TV or other Nick shows like like this podcast too. You'll have people, you know, complaining about Tibbs. But that that's because we want to maximize the talent on our team. Um, and I don't really see like – the, that viewpoint from like the rest of the league, especially within like co- like coaches and like executives, but I think you do need like a new younger coach. I, I think if you got Spider Mitchell, I don't think Tibbs is really coaching, or I don't think you know his coaching or his tenure is going to be like that long this season because you're bringing in a real dynamic superstar, and um, you know. But I think I think with this squad, I mean. I think he's maximizing talent enough, but I don't think he's maximizing the talent to the best of their level. Um, mm-hmm. And I know, Carlos, you mentioned like Randall, you know, he's always like working for his shots. Um, they're always tough. I do think that's like a symptom of his game. Like we saw that, you know, on the Lakers and on the Pelicans, like that, that's just his game kind of, it's just to like bully ball, get to the rim. And now he's like, you know, brought in like jump, you know, jump shooting and stuff. Um, but you know, there's certain things about Tibbs that are annoying just on that subject. I know we've been talking for a bit on him is like the ability to adapt has me concerned for like a playoff series. Like we've seen him deep in the playoffs, but like now in the NBA, it's a seven game series. You got to be willing to adapt. And like, I just don't think like if there's a good situation where like Obi Toppin should be playing, like, I don't, I think Tibbs is a textbook coach. Like, he's going to be like, no, I want Obi to only play 12 minutes tonight, regardless if he just went off for like nine points in two minutes. Like, he then he's out. Like, I think you just, he doesn't go with the flow of things. And basketball is a game of flow. So I think like, you know, that is, you know, really going to be a major flaw of his down the line in the playoffs. You come to, down to the playoffs, you're going to be playing teams. You know, the Knicks play every game in the regular season like it's the playoffs. Other teams don't do that. So you get to the playoffs and you play a team like Boston or a team like Philly, and, like, they're just going to wipe you with the floor with you because their coaches are going to be willing to adapt to situations to win in the playoffs games. While Tibbs, Tibbs is just going to run Barrett, Randall Brunson, like, all the fourth quarter, just run their legs to the floor, man. And... You know, I think maybe that will be exposed in the playoffs if we lose. But I just I think winning a playoff series overall, the point is, I don't think that puts his job in jeopardy at all, unfortunately. Um, You know, so it's a weird situation to be in because you bring in Tibbs to like start this culture. But then it's like, you know, we have some interesting talent. Randall's in his prime. Brunson is entering his prime. Uh, Barrett quickly. Robinson. Grimes. These are all guys that are now improving because they're getting older. Like. You know, you bring in like a more dynamic, you know, open-minded coach, you know, how much better could the team be? You know, I, I don't know. We, we, you know, we might not have the answer to that question um, anytime soon. So, yeah, 
And to your point, Rob, you mentioned Dwayne Casey, and like that's kind of a perfect reason why you want to fire Tibbs. Like yes. they got rid of Dwayne Casey. They got Nick Nurse, a, a rookie head coach who only coached like overseas or G League and stuff. Yeah, he and won the, the G League title that year, I think. Yeah, and even though obviously they got Kawhi Leonard and that's... that was a huge deal, like they were also much more innovative and adjusting and things like that. The Warriors, obviously, they had Curry and Thompson, but they had Mark Jackson and they were like this cool team with culture that was good, but yep. losing to better teams. And then they have Kerr and it's like a light switch. And it's just like, it'd be nice to have, I guess, a coach who was looking to do things like that. I think it'd be cool if the Knicks got like somebody, Quinn Snyder, uh, who did a lot yep. of stuff with that jazz offense. Uh, I feel like it's weird that with the Knicks, like there's just so many minutes I see with like Randall and Hartenstein and Randall and Sims. And it's like, once you have Hartenstein and Sims in the game, like whoever is guarding them is now also guarding Randall. So it's just like, eh, he never figured out a way to really use Fournier. I know Fournier had like a rough year last year shooting wise, but like I got to do some of that on coaching. Like Fournier was a yeah. pretty consistent player for years. His shot fell off a cliff. Like he, he didn't just forget how to shoot. Like I know yeah. he did. No, like, it, it's typically said his morals on that. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's uh, on Thibodeau. Because and losing consistency on minutes and things like that, it'll hurt a shooter. And now he, he can't even break into the lineup. And I know that they have guys like Reddish, this whole Reddish saga. saga it's it's weird. Like, I felt like when I was watching Reddish before he started getting DMPs, I was like, all right, he's a nice little piece for them, especially like at that swing position where it's like you have RJ, who any given night is only going to score 10 points. Like, it's nice to have Reddish who can come in play defense i personally like i know there were some questions about some of his shot selection sure i didn't think he was like a ball hog though like i didn't think it was like a black hole like with certain like i think barrett is kind of a little bit of a black hole like once he gets the ball i'm like all right like what are you gonna do like yep. i need it like, you're gonna try and shoot like let's hope this one goes in uh mm-hmm. i don't know i think they could use a little more ball movement and things like that uh i guess for, now for the record yeah. Cam Reddish only was taking like 6.8 shot attempts a game, so 100% not a ball hog by any means. You by know, any means. Those are probably inflated purely by the games where he was put in where it was too late to do anything, and he just wanted to chuck because he never even got minutes or playing time before the fact. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, what was interesting about Reddish is that you had him start some games and come off the bench, and then it almost seems like out of overnight – benched no minutes and it like we're now kind of understanding that came after he you know he mentioned like he wanted a bigger role with him it comes down to this he's a wing in the nba if you want to win you need wings and reddish's defense he was playing good defense and sure he had like some questionable mistakes man but because of Tibbs's coaching you have these young guys that like are afraid to make mistakes because they're going to get pulled out and the young guys in particular it's not really quickly he's on Tibbs's good side so is Grimes but I'm talking about like Toppin and Reddish one thing that's interesting is that we've been noticing in certain reports from Ian Begley and stuff like there are some differences in 
the players that the front office wants to get and the players that Thibodeau wants. And I think the front office signed Fournier, but he's not a Thibodeau guy. So I think they kind of have that relationship where Tibbs is like, all right, you can sign some guys, but let me do my thing and coach. And they're like, okay, that's fine. And again, like while we're five game or three games above 500 and we still like win games, like those are results. So like the front office can't really like complain, but I think there's ways to use Fournier, you know, like, you know, he was sure he's a bit of like a turnstile on defense. All right. You don't have to play him in late game situations, but it's like you have all these guys. Sure. If you want to make a nine man lineup, like that's not a bad idea, but like there's ways to make like different subs and rotations. And it all comes out to this textbook coaching where Tibbs is like, this is the way we're doing things because this will lead to results that I think like. Yeah, it, it provides you like wins for sure. Like, you know, we have 28 wins, but it also it limits like creativity and the potential to maybe right now we'd be sitting at 32 wins and like 22 losses and then we're a top four seed you know what i mean and it limits the creativity where like we don't have a superstar so you have to maximize the best you can get out of brunson randall and barrett your three top scorers every night if you want to even remotely beat one of these top tier teams in a playoff series like you really got to maximize the best that you can do so i think you know i think bring up fournier in his misuse and now he's just benched it seems like for tibbs if there's a guy who's a liability on defense or he can't find a way how to use them bench like like tells the front office hey let me just like keep them on the bench so they're not involved in my rotations because this is working. And then we go on a seven game winning streak, playing a bunch of teams that have their best player out. And then next thing, you know, we start losing games and then it's like, Oh, well now I got to like bring these guys back in. Like, I don't know. You know, we can go on and on about Tibbs, but the worst part about it too, is for, for instance, we trade Kevin Knox and a first round pick for Cam Reddish. Granted that first round pick was, protected and yada 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 we we know the final result with it but still a first round pick was traded and kevin knox cam reddish gets here plays like two games gets hurt and then is out of the rotation for the entire end of last year and then we're expecting him to play now that we've traded for him this year has that dope shot to start the season against memphis has 20 decent games and then like we are now here for no dmps evan fournier uh, the front office invests $18 million a year in him, and now he's a DMP this entire year. He's just dead money, basically. Like, dead like money. The, 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 yep. stubborn, the stubbornness of Thibodeau really shines through in, these, in this situation to me. Um, Naldi's right. Like, shortening the rotation may not be the most ideal thing. You know, you got these guys sitting there. You might as well use them. Mm-hmm. Even Derek Rose, who's a, a Thibodeau sweetheart. Like, he had, I haven't seen him play... NBA minutes and how long and meanwhile he was just like the most pivotal player for the Knicks in the playoffs two seasons ago well it's crazy now because you got Rose making 14 million this season right Fournier making 18 million yeah they're not even playing man so it's Mm -hmm. like there's some disconnect between the front office and the coach but here's the thing when when you're getting wins if you're beat like when you beat Boston you beat Cleveland you beat Miami right like good wins like everything is Everything is is dandy, you know. Like yeah. Everything's good. If you win, everything's good. Like you don't hear all these crazy reports. Once you start losing, though, these 
harsh realities, you know, come to fruition that it's like you got $30 million over that sitting on the bench. So I don't know. Trade deadline coming up. Maybe we could yeah. pivot off of Tibbs. Like yeah, trade well, deadline coming up, it's it begs a lot of questions. What's the plan? Is the plan to improve talent? Is the plan to get off guys? What's yeah. the goal? You know? Yeah, uh, and I mean, if you're just gonna have dead money sitting on the bench, you gotta find a way to get value out of it somehow. Um, you know, some of the names that have been dropped in rel- uh, relation to the Knicks are OGN and OB, Grayson Allen, Sadiq Bay, most recently Malik Beasley and Jared Bil- Vanderbilt. Um, Alex Caruso was one name that I saw. I don't know that any of the bench guys that we aren't using have any value or even a probability of getting a player of that caliber. Um, but I mean, there is an upgrade needs to be made somehow. Um, I would say the wing position is where the Knicks lack the most right now. Um, even though, you know, you look at Obi Toppin, who's a very mobile power forward who could arguably play on the wing as well. It's just that he's not a really good defender. And honestly, in fairness, now that I've said it, he practically is being used as the wing because he just gets parked in a corner the whole fucking game. Yeah, he's used as one. It's ridiculous. That's yeah. all I ever see. He gets I, more wide open threes than anyone on the team, and it's like, yeah, I'm, any wide open dunks. Like, I don't understand how you guys don't have anything with Brunson, who's now yeah. your point guard. I feel like I, I rarely see them. There, there's no, like there's no action that is instituted that capitalizes on the fact that Obi Toppin is literally an athletic freak and can he can run he runs the length of the court the second a rebound is caught by somebody that's not him and he's almost never looked at you know he also just doesn't play he's been playing like 10 minutes a game ever since he came back from his leg injury um but you know he started off this season and ended last season just as this athletic freak finally getting into a comfort zone and his three-point shot was incredible to start this season he was the best shooter on the team at one point and now he's just an afterthought, even though he was a top eight draft pick that was purposely chosen by the head of CAA, the guy who's running the basketball operations here, Leon Rose. Um, you know, it just doesn't make sense. There's Bad so much, pick, man. there's so pick. many inexplicable factors. And now the Knicks want to trade for a Sadiq Bay, who they could have just drafted if they wanted him that badly. You know, um, it, it just doesn't make sense. The, 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 the talent on this team exists. How it's being used is what's ruining everything, I would say. Um, improvements need to be made, and now we have to think about what are the Knicks going to do over the next uh, five days. Thursday's the trade deadline. Like, Are they going to trade for one of these wing players or these guards or Jared Vanderbilt, who I don't even know why you want to trade for him when you have backup bigs already. You know, Mitch is coming back soon from his injury as well, I think. Um, there's just too much, yeah. too much weirdness going on, you know? That, that's why, like... I wanted you on. Well, I would like always like you on here, to be honest, Cal. But, um, you know, from an outside perspective, because I know you don't watch as many Nick games as me and Nick, but I know you do tune in a lot. And like we'll talk on the side and you're just judging from a fair perspective of what's going on. And you seem to see a lot of the things that we see at times. So, like, I, I always love to hear other people's thoughts on it. Well, yeah, and one of the things I thought made a lot of sense was the part you guys mentioning, the disconnect between Tibbs and the front office, and that's what sucks about the trade deadline is, like, you can't really make great moves at the deadline if you're not connected like that. So any move you make here, for all you know, you trade for Beasley and Vanderbilt, and Tibbs is like, I don't want to play either of these guys. And then it's all of a sudden you're just wasting stuff because – uh, there was a lot of hype after Toppin had those 
for all intents and purposes, meaningless good games at the end of last season. But truthfully, if Tibbs was never going to play him this year, he should have been traded last summer while he was probably at this highest value point. Exactly. It would have been perfect. I was originally always a don't trade for Mitchell type of guy. Now, if you're telling me that you weren't going to play top in and Grimes and top in and probably a bunch of picks for the centerpiece, I mean, that would have been nice. Even yeah. though, like, obviously what's happening in Utah now with Markinen being almost a superstar, at least a star right now, an all-star, uh, it's pretty crazy. So what they're doing over there is interesting. But if you look at what they have, like, Will Hardy was a Danny Ainge. Like, Danny Ainge wanted Will Hardy. And I bet you that they're connected and they know what's yep. going on. Yep. And even though Danny Ainge probably in a perfect world would have liked for them to be awful this year, he understands the importance of marking and turning into a much better player. He understands things like Vanderbilt getting more minutes. Have Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler, I was talking to you, Rob, I think about it this yesterday. Walker Kessler, you'd probably rather have right now in his contract than Rudy Gobert alone. Absolutely, yep. hands down, Crazy no debate. Say, no true. debate. It's like no debate. Crazy. $40 million dollars cheaper, and he's giving you so much close to the same value. Like, I get Gobert is better, but, like, you get to devote that to other things. Uh-huh. The, the way they're doing it, they're doing it right. And yeah. that's the scary part about the Knicks is that, like, maybe the best thing for the Knicks that – and I agree they shouldn't do because you can't, like, blow it up again – is like it'd be perfect if they could trade Randall right now, maybe at yes. a high value. Yes. But like it's so hard to do that. And like it would take like if you're gonna do that, you might as well fire Tibbs. Like you have to do everything, all group teardown. And then you have to hope that Barrett takes that type of step that Markman did. But yeah. that's think, the that's the trouble too on. is yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. go ahead. <laughs> go, dale, dale, dale. Oh, all, all I was gonna say basically is um you know, that, that's one of the recurring topics, too, that gets mentioned. I see it a lot from um, Tommy D on Twitter. He always tweets about it. And then just other people. I, we've all done it, to be fair. But the redundancies from Brunson, Barrett, and Randall, they're, they're very similar players at different heights, essentially. They're, and, you know, not just because they're lefties, but because they're very, I'm going to drive off the three-point line centric. And then they get to the paint, stop themselves, turn around, and do a whole bunch of stuff. Their, their decision making and stuff can be very similar. Um, you know, Brunson's obviously my favorite current Nick right now. Um, he's the best point guard I think this team has ever had. Best backcourt player this team has had since, you know, Clyde and um, Alan Houston, like these types of guys. John Starks even was a really good backcourt player for the Knicks. Mm. And, uh, all right. He was good. He was good. <laughs> he had some hater, bad I'm moments. Hater, but, but, you know, Brunson coming in is huge. Um, you know, he's averaging 23 points per game the last time I checked and six and a half or 6.2 assists. You know, people complain about him not being a playmaker. He is, you know, even though he dives into the paint a lot, like he's doing stuff there that a lot of people that we've seen. Play people complaining about Brunson are out of pocket, man. They just, it, you know, it, they can't. It, yeah, yeah, it they just doesn't issues, make sense but, to me. But, you um, know, uh, but seeing yeah. that from Brunson, you know, constantly just driving left, going into the paint, seeing it from Barrett. Like you said, he, he he's kind of a, a question mark every time he has the ball in his hand because you don't know what he's going to do. And then he seems to make things work sometimes. But you know, he just drives to the paint, stop, turn around, go back out, drive to the paint. Randall, very driving centric, even though he has been taking a lot of threes this year too. Um, 
Something, something would have to change. And like you said, capitalizing on Randall's value would probably be the most likely outcome of a trade because the Knicks just invested 30 plus million into Rand, uh, Barrett mm-hmm. for the next few years. They just bought Brunson, albeit at a fair contract, underpaid mm-hmm. contract, in my opinion, obviously. Um, and you want to build around Barrett, who's your number three draft pick, and Brunson, who is now the engine of the offense. And you have Randall, who is also on a very fair contract, you know, fairly priced contract. Yeah. Uh, second time All-Star, like you said earlier in the podcast as well, that he could end up being an All-NBA again this year. Um, you know, his mindset seems to be better, but it's just like he's the one that you have to get rid of to really get any value back, so to speak. Um, I don't know if and when it would happen, though. It would have to be after the end of the season, if anything, I'd say. You know, try to go for a star somehow. I don't know. It's interesting because with the guys they have, like Brunson, you mentioned his playmaking and stuff like that. But to what people, I guess, are saying, it's like he's not really like a true point guard in, in the same sense. He's closer to like the Curry type where like Curry gets a lot of assists and things like that. But by the nature of how good he is, and things like that, and by applying pressure to the defense and being able, obviously, carries a whole different beast. But it'd be interesting because for Brunson, he came from playing with Luca, where Luca could take a lot of the playmaking ability, and Jalen Brunson just got to focus on scoring. Like, if there was an offense that did a lot more of the ball movement for Brunson, I think he'd be better off. That's another reason why I think it'd be really cool if they had a different coach. And I think Snyder, I think Snyder is, I think, an ideal coach for them in the sense that, like, he pretty much went to Utah and Utah became like an offensive machine. And like their biggest downfall was just that they had no defense in the playoffs uh, because Gobert got exposed next to a bunch of subpar defensive players. But what the Knicks have is like a bunch of guys who do in credit to the culture that Tibbs has had. Like, I think all the Knicks players, like they play hard, like they, they play defense. Like Randall, Randall's giving it like, I, he has those lapses and those moments where you're like, Randall, what the fuck are you doing? But like, he's also a dog, you know, like he's going to get you like 12 rebounds. If your center's out, like there was the, a couple of the first few games where Mitchell wasn't playing and Sims wasn't rebounding yet. Like Randall was just like, all right, these are all my rebounds now. Yeah. I don't know, but I don't want to harp too much on them now. I don't know if you guys maybe have a little time to talk about what I think is an interesting story out West where <laughs> The on. West is just something else right now because with you the got, record stuff, uh, it's like the Nuggets have the number one seed, but also I don't think anybody's like too petrified to play them in the playoffs. Like, sure, Jokic is the scariest maybe player in the West, you could argue, but at the same time, Michael Porter Jr. gets exposed on defense constantly. And like last time, I know when the Suns played them and beat them in four. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. was just a common target. It was just you keep going at him. I don't think Jamal Murray is that great of a defender. The KCP edition was nice. But then you have Denver. You have the Grizzlies who, I mean, the Grizzlies have just looked not great for the past month. Ever since Morant said, I'm fine in the West. They've been uh-huh. everything but fine. They've been getting beat by everybody. Yeah, They like to talk, which... I mean, I like it because it, it makes for great storylines, and that's why we love the NBA. But yeah, between them and then you got the Kings. The Kings are the third team in the West. Very impressive. It's impressive. I guarantee you, whoever gets in and plays the Kings in the first round, it's scared. Gonna be, 
there's going to be so many good teams in the West at the bottom. I think that they're licking their chops. Like the Suns, if the Suns got to play the Kings in the first round, <laughs> I, I bet the Suns are favored. I bet they love that matchup. <laughs> I bet most of the teams at the bottom, like the Clippers, aren't going to be afraid of them. If the impending doom that I have within my body of Kyrie Irving joining the Lakers and me having to deal with the Lakers all of a sudden being the favorite to win the West from the play-in or something is just daunting. Uh, the West all those, is crazy, man. And then the Mavericks. I mean, as soon as the, the Mavericks get to the playoffs, it becomes – it's already Luka ball but it becomes yeah. Luka playoff ball. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Bullock starts hitting threes. Bullock hasn't – and you guys know this as Knicks fans. Bullock isn't hitting any threes right now. After the All-Star break, he's going to go on a hot stretch. And then in the playoffs, he's going to play defense and hit a bunch of timely threes along with Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie. And Correct. all of a sudden yep. – I mean, the Christian West. Wood. It's a bloodbath. If they're there. If they're there. Rumor, you saw that rumor, Christian Wood. It's like I'd be surprised if Christian Wood is on the Mavericks after the trade deadline. The I, West is is crazy. I don't get it. The West is crazy. I'm looking right now. There only three teams are. I think OKC, the Spurs, and the Rockets. They're all kind of out of it, and even not really because OKC is only a game behind the Lakers right now. You mm-hmm. know to make noise, but in terms of like playoff series, only ten teams are gonna make it. Um, and obviously the bottom four of those 10 teams are playing, um, and there's like 12, 13, like good teams. Look, if the Lakers can find a way to finesse this deadline and get Kyrie and Gary Trent Jr., they're the favorites to come out of the West, no doubt. I mean, cause you're adding like shooting. Now you got Rui Hachimura, um, you got Kyrie who can do take tons of the point guard responsibilities off of LeBron and score. You got AD who like who doesn't have to handle as big of a load offensively, um, and he can just do his thing. Um, and then you have teams like yeah, like Golden State um, and Phoenix who have like deep D and Clippers deep playoff experience that are licking their chops for these like like you know early playoff series against like Sacramento and um, you know Memphis I think is is good but. Um, you know, we only seen them in the playoffs once um, in Denver, who obviously have some vulnerabilities. I mean, if you can find a way to expose Jokic defensively, that's big time. That's big time. And I think Golden State's really good at doing that. Um, so, you know, I don't know who's going to come out of there. No one really knows. But the playoffs are a different game. And I just got a funny hunch that it's going to be Golden State again. I think they're going to. You know, everyone wants to talk about the issues with Jordan Poole and Draymond and like that's lingering and oh my God, they're 26-26. Let's be real for a second. They got Dante DiVincenzo. They won the ring last year. They still got Steph. Clay's playing good. They still got Kerr. They still play the same schemes. I Like in a playoff series, the playoff series is a different game. I don't see how they beat in a seven-game series any of these West teams right now. I, I, I'm not saying they're going to dominate. Like this isn't pre- this isn't the Durant era of Golden State where it was them and then everyone else. I'm not saying they're going to dominate, but they're still gunned in my head. The team I picked to come out of the West, you know what I mean? I think I'd like to see another team, but I got to see it. You know what I mean? I got to see them play Memphis. You know, they're 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 the team to beat. Um, and then maybe Portland makes an improvement because Dame is playing like Dame. 
you know, he had that injury, he had a few year weird years, and then it's like he was just like, All right, you guys just all forgot. Like, I'm him. And we're like, All right, you know, and then the Pelicans, not to mention, they just dropped like ten straight, but Ingram had just got back and Zion hasn't been playing. Like, these teams are thinking further ahead for the playoffs. Like they're like, We'll be good, we'll get in there. Like, you know, you know, and Minnesota's kinda interesting because they're playing better without Cat. Like, not saying they're gonna trade him, but like you gotta Ooh. start looking at options of getting off him and building around Ant, young players, and Gobert. Like, if you traded, if you mortgaged your whole future for Gobert, I think you want to get some picks back. I think you want to get more talent defensively. And Cat is honestly just soft, and defensively he's a liability. And what are you playing him at the four? Like, and I don't really understand what the plan is there. I'm just going through the teams. I mean, Phoenix—they're always going to be good because of Booker and good coaching, um, and good schemes. And the Clippers, Kawhi's back in Dallas. I don't know. Dallas is Luca. You know, if they get Kyrie, that's a different story because you probably got to give up a little bit. But I don't know. I even think the the East is kind of interesting too. I mean, you're kind of top heavy with Boston, Milwaukee, and and Philly. Um, but look, Philly, man, I gotta. And now we're just kind of talking about you know the state of the league and like how teams are going to perform in the playoffs. But Philly, I just I don't trust in the playoffs at all. You know, I I really don't. And they haven't given me. I think this is fair, man. They haven't given me a reason to trust them in the playoffs. Harden. We we know is a a late game playoff choker. Embiid can go off for like forty and ten in a game, and then the the six minutes left in the, a clinching game will not make a single shot. Like we've seen this time and time again. And what is your main guy going to be? Tobias Harris. So ultimately, you really got to look at like Boston and Milwaukee, the teams that have done it. Brooklyn's in shambles somehow, which is kind of unfortunate for them. I know we among this crowd prey on their downfall, but objectively, objectively, they're having a good season where it's like, yo, like they could make a push this year. And now with this Kyrie drama, it's like, wow, like they actually had no noise coming out of Barclays. And now it, it just again, every time Durant gets hurt, there's always drama. That's just how it is over there. Um, and then Cleveland, we just got to see, you know, and it, it annoys people. But it's funny, like in the grand scheme of things, it no one should be surprised if you see Miami in the Eastern conference finals again, like it's just culture. I think, you know, it's very interesting now, but when it comes down to the playoffs, like I I don't think things will be too surprising yet. I think we're getting to that era where you're going to see teams like Memphis, Dallas, we already saw in the Western conference finals, but you know, where we'll start to see some of these younger teams, like go further, like the Pelicans are going to make it out of the first round probably. Right. Like things like that. But I, you know, I think the playoffs are a different game. Um, and I'm very interested to see who comes out of the West. You know, this could be the year that Denver good does go on a run and they do just kind of dominate and go deep. If there's, like a year could, to do it. if there's a year to do it, it's this, but also it could also not happen, but having Murray back, having your depth KCP in that starting lineup, Gordon is playing. I saw some people put Aaron Gordon on their also reserve list. Like he's having a good year. They're good, man. If they can find a way to really bolster up that defense offensively, they're not going to have problems, you know, but, um, Oh man, it's 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 so fascinating. I mean, I, I don't I don't even know what to expect, you know. Yeah, the league's been a lot more fun. Like ever since that that time, ever since the Raptors won the title, Kawhi goes out west of the Clippers. All these yeah. like little pairings are being made. Well, you haven't I, seen a, a back-to-back champ, which no, is you no. had that happen, and then you had Lakers win in the bubble. You had the Bucks win, and then Golden State. But it's like a different Golden State. Like it was yeah. more last year was like a more respectable ring, in my opinion, because it's it was like just tougher for them. Like they had yeah. to yeah. play good teams and beat the teams to win. They had like, to play good teams. Their their yeah. veterans are getting older. You know, they're they're yeah, getting yeah, up yeah. there in age. Yeah. I mean, granted, 
Curry's like however old, thirty something. He's yeah. still playing like a freaking maniac. So yeah. not really the same. But. They this is really the season that has you like yo. The NBA is kind of like the new NFL. Like there's any team could come out of it, which just makes for a more exciting league. I mean, hundred percent. Even Randall said it on the Knicks. He was like, we can lose to anyone and beat anyone like any night. And I yeah. do agree with that. But what if it's the same team and it's seven game series? Then things change, and then things boil down to. Can your coach make adjustments? Mm-hmm. I want to bring it full circle. It does. It does come full circle. Type of to guy, be fair. but you know who can make adjustments? <laughs> Steve Kerr. You know who can make adjustments? Um, Joe Mazzula, probably because Nick Nurse. He's pretty good. Nick Nurse and um, Mon- and Monty Williams, like guys like that. You know what yeah. I mean? Make adjustments. Um, like, they know the, how to play. The Grizzlies coach. Ty Lue. Tyloo's might be the best in the game at making adjustments, man. But I go back to Monty Williams because you look at the Suns, they're talented, but Chris Ball's lost a step. Aiton's like checked out. Booker's that guy. And I wouldn't be surprised they go to the Western Conference Finals because just Monty Williams knows how to win games, like maximize his talent on his team. Like this is what we're talking about here. If you put, okay, if you put Tom Thibodeau in Monty Williams' position, that team wins less games in my opinion. Somehow, oh, somehow, so less, you know what so I mean? Like, less. so, yeah. you know, you I mean, he'd, be, about... he'd be running Booker into the ground. He'd be running McCall into Booker the ground. Playing 45 minutes a night, man. Chris Paul is 38 so and he'd be running stuff. into the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So, but. yeah, I think you, we're going to see that in the playoffs, the coaching stuff. Cause like, I like Cleveland a lot. I like their roster. I think Donovan Mitchell is a playoff player. I don't know if Bickerstaff is going to be able to out coach any, but that's the thing. The East, if you look at it, who are the best coaches in the East? You don't. Budenholzer. <laughs> Budenholzer, I hate personally. I, I, yeah. I just. Well, he it's because he beat you. <laughs> no, no, no. It, well, <laughs> he he's lucky that he gets to coach what's maybe gonna be the best player ever. Like he's that. Far, Giannis is on. Yeah. yeah. To maybe yeah, yeah. break all these fucking records and MVPs. Uh, he's a beast, but like. Uh, Doc Rivers, the Jack yeah. Vaughn. I, I mean, I get that Nets fans like Jack Vaughn because he calls timeout sometimes when people don't call timeout. But at the end of the day, it doesn't seem like he has that. Nobody can control whatever's going on. I mean, it's Nets. really, I think the best coach is really like Missoula with a mix of that Udoka schemes because it's like he's kind of coaching the same way Udoka did, mm-hmm. but it's like a different coach. And. I mean, look at Boston. I mean, they're so they're so deep. Like this is the best this iteration with Tatum and Brown has ever been. Like, there's no reason to think like they can easily come out of the East this year and beat any of the West teams in a playoff series. Like, they're they're that good. But if you look at the East coaches, yeah, it's a good point. Like, who really is the best coach? You know, you know. And and the guy, it's funny because you mentioned them. You wouldn't be surprised to see them make the Eastern Conference Final. I don't think that their talent is like close to making it there, but because of the coaching we're talking about. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. He, like if they be if the heat match up against the Sixers again, if they play in the first round, I'm probably picking the Heat. Like let me ask you this. Who's okay, Cleveland and Miami playoff series? Yeah, I'm taking Miami. That's what I'm saying. Miami, man. I'm taking Miami. Miami. Because mm-hmm. the coaching and like here we're here what it comes down with the heat, like and I always go back to like the playoffs as a different like season, like league, because like it kind of is like once the playoffs start, the refs call less fouls. It's a tougher game, and it's really just about making adjustments. And it's seeing the same team four to seven times in a row. Like you can maximize the talent. Like Max Struess doesn't have to be consistent for eighty-two games. 
and if he's like really shooting not that good, like sure, you know, that begs certain questions in terms of standing. But in the playoffs, if you know what you're going to get out of him for 28 games, like all you got to do is play super hard and smart mm-hmm. for almost tw- like 25, 28 games straight against only four different teams. Like that's a really good way to you like because of Miami is you can just like insert guys Mm-hmm. And you can maximize their talent and have them like, you know, lock up like Donovan Mitchell. You know what I mean? So that's why Miami's scary. Like, I think I really do think there's a level of teams that play super hard in the regular season. I think a, most teams do. And then there's teams that are like, you know, like in their mind, like Pat Riley's like, all right, like I'm thinking about the playoffs, man. Like I'm thinking about we were one Jimmy Butler three away from the finals again. Like, you know what I mean? So I think that's when the game changes. And I do like, even though things are exciting now, I do think a lot of things are not going to be too surprising when it comes playoff time. Like, I think it's going to be like Boston versus Milwaukee, and then it's going to be like Golden State versus Denver or something, or Golden State versus Phoenix or something in the Western Conference Finals. Like one of those teams or the Clippers, like teams that aren't, you know, really surprising to us. But anything could happen, man. Like Luka beat the, the Suns in a seven-game series. Like for sure, people thought the Suns were going back. Molly whopped them in games. And, and all that came down to was like Luka had – a good game like the Suns I don't remember where if they were up 3-1 or they're up 2-0 but you had like just things happen in the playoffs where like I think you know the Suns got overconfident and then you had that just game seven which was just you know an unfortunate game for the Suns right and Luka just went off so anything could really happen um you know but I think what's the coolest thing is you're gonna get valuable playoff experience for the Kings now like if they mm-hmm. keep it up, they're going to make the playoffs and you're going to have deer and foxes in Sabonis are going to have playoff experience. You're going to have, you know, um, you know, Minnesota had a good series. Like that was a good playoff series last year against Memphis, Memphis Grizzlies themselves are back and they talk a lot of shit and not a lot of people in the league like them, but I'm totally sure they say, why can't we play in the NBA finals? Like what's to say we can't play. So they're going to play hard Denver. They want, Everyone there wants to win a ring. Yoke, they want Jokic to win a ring. You know, they know yeah. he's all time great. If he does win a ring, conversations start happening because he's about to win like three MVPs back to back to back. Um, oh man, it's gonna be, it's gonna be. And then Steph is still there, and Steph's still him. You know, and it's Golden it's State. Still so. fucking him. And not to harp too much on the Heat, but just because we mentioned them, the Heat last year made it to the Eastern Conference Final with Kyle Lowry being a no-show with Bam being inconsistent. They made it to game seven. And now with the trade deadline coming up, Lowry supposedly, like, they're not seeing eye-to-eye is what I'm seeing. Kyrie Irving's name is being attached, too. Oh, my God. If they trade for either Kyrie Irving or if they make a Lester trade either for Pascal or OG, all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, like, they become a real threat in the East with everything else they have. Mentioning the West, I mean – I just look at the West and the Kings, you mentioned them and it's cool because they run that motion offense and in the playoffs, like that kid against like a bad defensive team, like they could look fucking great. But if they go up against like a team that has a lot of defenders at multiple positions, like the Clippers, they're caught, uh, they're done. Clippers might sweep them, dude. And it sucks because like to everybody on the outside looking in, it's like, Oh, if you're the three seed, like you should be the six seed. And it's like, no, like that's, especially not in the NBA with how deep teams are with things like injuries and Mm. just management of injuries. Like the Clippers are going to be like one of the best six seeds we've ever seen because like, they won't even be a six seed 
because of like mm-hmm. horrible injury. They're a six seed because like they're just making sure they get to the playoffs healthy. Yeah, as everyone long knows they their role. The playoffs healthy, they'll mm-hmm. they're fine doing whatever. Yeah. And home and away, I think home and away for certain teams it's going to matter more. But for teams like the Clippers, where you have Kawhi, who's just a cyborg, I think it matters less. I think he actually might like playing. I wouldn't be surprised if he wants to go into these opposing arenas and make them quiet. That way he doesn't have yeah. to talk as loud and shit. I think, I think, you know, people are sleeping on the Clippers. Um, I think they're built to make a playoff run. And ultimately, the the signings that Jerry West made, signing Kawhi, trading for Paul George, doing all this to build the team, their goal, they, they, their, realist, their expectations, I don't think, are too high. Like, I, in this NBA, it's going to be hard to build a dynasty. If they win one chip with this team, it's a success. Like, straight up, it's a success because it's the Clippers – they're they're the ugly stepchild of LA, right? They're not the Lakers. And if you win one ring, you did what you were supposed to do. And they could really do it every which year. Like, you know, that year against the um the the Suns, Kawhi was out. Like that's just the truth. You know what I mean? Last year, um, you didn't have Kawhi at all, right? Kawhi has been mm-hmm. out from that second round series, I think, against Utah that they won, and they were looked like a well-oiled machine, man. You know, so. I think, you know, people are sleeping on them. I think they have a lot of ways that they can maybe expose Golden State. And they have deep, deep playoff experience, man. They have offense. They have defense. They have Ty Lu, who has beaten the Golden State Warriors in the finals, in the finals before. They have, that's the only coach that could do. You can say Nick Nurse, but that Golden State team, you know, it was Steph. You know, Clay was Clay was kind of hurt. No Durant. Anyways, um, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. And it, these questions – you know, and these discussions are right to be having now because we're almost at the all-star break. And now like the NBA is in a flow, like guys are getting antsy, like they're fighting each other. Like now you like, like the league is really, you know, I think the first month the players sort of get readjusted and stuff because not everyone's working on their game in the off season, keeping their conditioning up. But now the NBA is like in full swing um, in terms of like good games and good play. So I think it's reasonable to be talking about like the playoffs and, you know, the expectations and the playing is going to be interesting because again, it's like, you don't have these seven game series. You have these like one game, two game knockouts. And it's like, you have teams like the Lakers are in there. It's like, what? Like the Pelicans, like Utah, you know, poor, like, Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be super, super interesting. And then coming out of the East in terms of like the play and stuff, it's like, Chicago's playing like crap, but like they could win a play a, a playing game. Like Wizards could have Kuzma go off for two straight games or one game, and they can get a playoff spot. And then you have like you can't sleep on Toronto, Indiana with Halliburton, and then even if the Knicks fall in there, like we can definitely win a playing game. Atlanta, you haven't heard of at all this season because Trey Young, uh, you know, he wasn't an All Star. I still think he's having a decent season, but they still have. You know, Capella, Collins, DeJounte Murray, like it's going to be very, very intriguing playoffs. This is probably the most excited I've been for upcoming playoffs ever. Honestly, it's really you really just don't know what's going to happen. It's getting better every year. It is. is. The talent is coming in. So much talent. After those couple years where we honestly went into the playoffs, just wondering how many games it would take Golden State to win the finals. It's nice. Now where we're at, it's pretty cool. It's a beautiful thing. I'm looking at like Trey Young and things like that. Trey Young's probably having the worst all NBA season of all time kind of mm-hmm. thing where it's like, if you look at his numbers, it's like this guy 
10 years ago would be the best player in the league, 27 and 10 uh, on like he's shooting 43% from field goal, 32% from three. But like at the same time, he he's like, nobody thinks he's bad. Like I know that people hate on him. And obviously we have one of his residential biggest haters right with us. But at the end of the day, it's like with all the turmoil that's going on with the Hawks that people are talking about, like they're still right around 500. Like they're still figuring things out. DeJounte's looked his best, I think, in the past month. Uh, he had like a 40 point game the other night, and I think it was in a loss, but I don't think Trey put, I don't know. But either way, I, I still wouldn't want to play the Hawks in a playoff series. Even, but their biggest downfall to me is I, I think Nate McMillan's not really a good coach. So give him to me. We're taking it this time if we play. Oh, I want God. that. I want to run, run that series that back, but I got a hunch, Rob. I got a funny, funny hunch based on how this season's going. Yeah, we're playing Toronto in a playing game. I got a funny hunch. Hey, anything's possible, you know, because we've, we've we've had overtime games against them, like tough games, like three yeah. games. It seems like uh, we're always playing them, and I'm like, there's, I guess, got a funny hunch we're playing them in a playing game, man. Well, look at the, you know, first of all, one step at a time, obviously, because I know you guys went ad nauseum about the playoffs and like, yeah, the the Knicks one step at a time, baby. We'll get there. But I see what you mean. Um, You know, play-ins is not my ideal outcome, but you saw how the Knicks played against the Bulls multiple times in a row in this year. That was a very intense little three-game series. Oh, Chicago doesn't even worry me, man. They're Uh, joking. I mean, if the Raptors do, the Chicago should. DeMar DeRozan hit a game winner on us, you know. But, yeah, look, uh, the, Toronto's got a lot more wings that I'm correct. worried about. Yeah, about so and, Toronto, they know, and they can guard Brunson. But, but at the same Caruso. time, at the same time, like, there's there's drama stirring up in Canada. You know, OG Ananobi yeah. might be out the door. I've seen Fred Van Vliet's name mentioned in trade talks. Pascal's a very possible trade number, Um, you know, trade piece. Anything's possible, but. Um, you know, I'm not too worried about that right now as much as I am about the Knicks playing the Clippers tonight. And the Knicks are plus 140 on the money line, and the yeah. Clippers are heavy favorites, minus 165 yeah. I for think ESPN. Brunson, I think oh, Brunson's it's in out. New York? Yeah. Uh, First it's time, in yeah. New York. Brunson is day-to-day. John Wall is the only official out. So we got Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, like Kawhi's playing. Marcus Morris, Norman Powell, all these guys playing that I really am scared to play against. If we win, it's a good win. I mean, usually when they come to the Garden, we beat them. We've like, yeah, we do, we do well against the Clippers. You yeah, know? R.J. Barrett had a good little game against them at one point. I remember. Yeah. You know, so we'll see. Uh, you know, what, like I said, baby steps. Knicks we'll are twenty-eight and twenty-five. Game is at seven o'clock p.m. Okay. So technically seven ten, I guess. Noted. Okay. I'll but. Be yeah, I, I got to throw that on later. You know, like I said at the start, it's a very cold one today. I don't know if anybody's leaving their house. But, uh, you know, just to also jump back into the playoff conversation you guys had, like, things are going to be very interesting right now. I'm actually seeing a couple of other little odds things placed here. You know how, uh, Carlos, we were talking about the Pacific Division winners being the Kings? Mm-hmm. They're favorites, but they're still plus 195. So we might be able to get a little bang for our buck here. Which is funny. Oh, I think they're going to well, do nice. Yeah. Question for you: Where sure. are the Suns? There. The Suns. Hold on. Are plus three thirty. If anything, the, 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 the Clippers are, are scary. Twenty six, and the Kings are twenty nine and twenty two. Mm-hmm. Books about to come back. 
I wouldn't be surprised to see the the Suns get into a top four seat because I do think. Uh, when is Book with, getting back? He's coming back Tuesday. I, right. Yeah, okay. Reportedly. Reportedly. And then where's Durant at? He should of... be also back almost too soon. Yeah. He, I think he also needs to get reevaluated, which is just. I mean, all this Durant stuff is ridiculous because I don't even know. Does he want to come play for the Nets if they're going to trade Kyrie? I think very fair point. Up, the, the Nets are in a tough place because, like, if they keep Kyrie and they keep their team going, they could win a championship this year. But, like, they could also keep Kyrie and he's a bad locker room presence. And, like, all of a sudden, like, all the good morale and happiness that they had what felt like was to a week earlier this week, right before they got demolished by the Celtics, the story was damn the Nets beating the Knicks and all this shit and Kyrie Irving playing uh, like an all-star an all NBA player. And now just quickly, all Kyrie Irving had to do was be like, all right, you know, I'm probably going to leave if you guys don't trade me, which I mean, I, that's kind of, they knew that already. Like it, if you didn't sign him to an extension, He's probably going to go sign somewhere for more money if you're not looking to offer him the most money. Somebody's going to throw a big bag at him. I think yeah. what they did with Kyrie is they said, here's an extension. It's not a max, but it's still a lot. And if you don't play, you're not getting paid. I think that's what they did. And he didn't like that. I think they had to put in guarantees because he hasn't played and they still had to pay him. He, so he's been I think a, it's a fair nuisance. on them to give them that, like, look. Here, we'll pay you, but if you have to play, dude, like none of this lollygagging shit, like, you have to play or we're not going to pay you. Like, it's only fair. And I think he said, nah, um, can we do some hot takes quickly? Yeah, we, let's end it on some hot takes. Well, what are you uh, thinking? I don't have, it's nothing too hot, but I think they're going to come to an agreement and they're going to, Kyrie's going to resign. I, mm. I just think it, it, that's how it is. Like, and it makes me as a hater, it makes me hate him even more because this stuff gets spurred up and it gets exciting. It's like, Oh, where's he going to go? Blah, blah, blah. And I think they're just going to, Joe Sai is smart. Bobby Marks is smart. They're going to find a way to sign him and still build out this team. Like the nets are always so close to things blowing up and then it's just not happening. And I just don't think it's going to happen this time around. I'm not getting my expectations um, too high. Um, me personally. Um, and that's, that's probably really it I, in terms of trades. I think Adenobi's probably going to go somewhere. I don't think the Knicks do anything too big because I just don't trust Leon Rose. And if they do do a trade, I don't think it'll make sense. <laughs> That's it. I think we'll just, I, I don't think it'll be bad, but it'll be like, like the top in and Fournier for like Vanderbilt and Beasley trade. Like, I, I just don't think it makes sense. Like Vanderbilt's a good defender. Um, but Beasley isn't. And then like, you're complaining about RJ's defense, if you're Tibbs and like other people, but then you're bringing in Beasley. Like, I don't really just, it, I just don't really get it. I, I, you got to pay top in or quickly. You're going to pay quickly, but I don't know. Um, those are my two cents. Ultimately, I think Kyrie's staying. I, I'm not going to get too excited that way. If it doesn't happen, then I'm, you know, if he does get traded, I'm super hyped. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> so yeah. it all depends on how much pressure he's actually putting on them. You know? Uh, I understand your point totally about the he's just forcing their hand to pay him or not. And we saw the numbers, the projection mm -hmm. for what he was looking for. And yeah. I mean, 50 mil a year, just about for like four seasons. Tough. Someone will pay him. Someone Sacramento. Will pay him. Uh, Sacramento. Well, not pay him, but trade for him. That'd be interesting. Maybe. Anyways. What about you, Carlos? Uh, my hot take. 
and I'm flip-flopping because I don't know where they'll go, but I got Minnesota trading Cat for Pascal. Siakam, yes. I think that'd be sick. I, I, I don't know why they don't just do it. And then I got Miami trading for, for OG. I tried to think of a way where maybe uh, Minnesota could trade for OG and Pascal, but they don't have any picks. So it's really just got to be Towns for Siakam straight up. Maybe Toronto bites. I, I, I really hope that happens. Can I share an opinion on that? I think you're, I think you're right. Like, why doesn't Minnesota do that? I think they should and could consider. I don't think Toronto considers it or as much. I think Toronto's like, dude, what? Like, I don't want cat. But I don't know. I don't know what their plan is. So. Yeah, Masai's a pretty good GM, so he probably wouldn't. He's good GM, yeah, man. Like, he's got to have a plan in place. You want picks. And you're not going to take protected picks from the Knicks if you're for OG, mm-hmm. if you're him. Those are both very good takes, very good takes. I don't even know what mine would be. You know, well, got to come close, up with it on the spot. Closest thing I could think of, as long as it's possible, money can happen and all that, is sun straight for Kyrie or Dame. Oof, oh my God, Dame. I, 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 I know uh, earlier, earlier in the, uh, the, you know, this discussion, Naldi, you said that Dame was being Dame, and you know, Portland might sneak their way in, but I don't him. know, man. Like Portland is in bad shape, and you know, I, um, what's it called, Chauncey Billups? I don't really, I can't judge his coaching ability, to be fair, but I don't think the Blazers are built to succeed this year or for the foreseeable yeah, future. Yeah, I agree. If they put a, a, a package around Shade and Sharp and some picks and maybe another young guy for Ananobi, that's interesting. But yeah, what they, level does that break? Or Pascal? Or Pascal right. yeah. They, they got to go big or go home, no matter what. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, co-star, I don't know how much who's, his, who's been his best co-star? CJ or uh, now he's got his mini me. Well, Dame's best co-star well, ever. Yeah. Yeah, Dame's best co-star was Lamarcus Aldridge. Well, yeah, but, but that was he's yeah, been gone for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Timelines. But as of right now, yeah. as of right now, CJ was the best. Um, I don't like Nurkic personally. Anthony mm-hmm. Simons is mini me, Damian Lillard, so he's coming up, mm-hmm. you know. But it's just for the past like few seasons, he just has not had any luck, man. And I know he's loyal and everything, but. I think one team's going to look at it and be like, look, Damian Lillard's still a top-tier point guard. Mm-hmm. We, we need him. You don't need him right now. Rebuild. Yeah. Um, that's like a scorching hot take, though. I, I honestly don't know that the Suns actually go throw their chips in for Damian Lillard or Irving, per, per se. But I think an upgrade is definitely needed, but probably not the point guard position, so to speak. I think they're set, kind of. Um I would like to see it happen. That would be interesting. So, uh, yeah, we can end the episode there, gents. Carlos, thanks for coming by. Nick, thanks for coming by, obviously. Thanks uh, for having me. Make sure y'all stay warm out there today. Uh, let's go, Knicks. And uh, Rambles from the Garden podcast signing out. Peace. Bob out. Peace.